1: If you're joining us for the first time or you haven't been here in a while because of summer vacation, we're doing a study on the book of Romans. And if you walked in the door over the sanctuary doorpost, is this saying, Living God's way. Living God's way. And we ministered to you a couple weeks ago on that very subject. Live God's way everywhere you go, everything you do, Every day of your life, it is possible to live that way. It doesn't mean you will walk it out perfectly, but as a child of God, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. He has dispatched you from glory to come to this vile earth to be light and salt. How are you doing? How are you doing? Are you salt? How big's your light? Was it a little teeny flashlight? Or is it a big light beaming? Or are you working off solar panel lights that come and go? Well, in Romans, it's a beautiful message. And that's the title of this morning's message. We're in chapter 10 of the book of Romans, if you'd like to turn there. I'm speaking from the New Living Translation. I'll be doing a little bit of review from where Jacob talked about last week. And I want to finish out the chapter, chapter 10. I've entitled this again, The Message. And I'm not talking about one of the Bibles that's called the message that seems to be so controversial. I'm talking about the message as declared in the book of Romans. And I'd like us to look at the first couple verses, first four verses, so we understand what's taking place. Remember, 1 through 8 really, really, really unravels this whole plan of salvation. Then he kind of zooms in on the nation of Israel in chapter 9. Through 11, they needed to hear, Israel needed to hear that God was not through with them yet. But Perhaps you need to hear this morning, God's not through with you yet. No matter what you've done, if you will confess your sins, God can do more with you today than he did the previous years. So, Paul wanted to communicate to his fellow countrymen, I'm an American and I'm proud that I'm an American. That's not a political statement. How many are proud to be glad to be American? Hallelujah. Man, you don't need to be embarrassed to say that word. Yes, there's problems in this country, but I'm so glad I was born in America and not somewhere else. Amen. And now I'm glad I'm born in the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Okay. This is not a politically correct church. If, you, if you're looking for that, uh, there's a few right down the road. In fact, I'll, no, I won't mention who they are. <laughs> Dear brothers and sisters. Oh, my goodness. That's not the right translation. Yes, it is. Dear brothers and sisters. The longing of my heart. Now, is this your passion? Let's have a checkup. Do you, are you really a child of God? And if you are, he gives you a craving for what Paul is about to say. He said, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. Now, the Bible says it is God that is at work in you and me causing us to hunger and thirst after righteousness. So you can't walk around patting yourself on the back. If you desire spiritual things, and you hunger for the kingdom of God, and you hunger to read the word of God, and you hunger to pray, and you hunger to see your fellow men saved, your relatives saved, your co-workers saved, it's not you. It's God working in you. And that's what Paul is saying. I know with What enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they didn't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. Christ already did it for them. Imagine trying to do something that someone else already did for you. Paul's trying to communicate that. God has paid in full your salvation. You have to do nothing. Absolutely nothing. But when that nothing is admitted, something's going to happen. A change will be the result. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose to which the law has given. And as a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. They, do you know people that are zealous for God, but their zealousness is misdirected? Or they concoct their own religion. I've been out golfing many times with people, and I've tried to share my faith with them. Or perhaps on the pickleball court, or perhaps somewhere in the restaurant. And I love God. They have a zeal for God. I really believe it, but it's misdirected. It's a zeal without knowledge, without understanding what God really requires to get right with Him. You know, I can call on a phone and and talk to my wife. You ever have done that to your spouse? And what did you say? Honey, I didn't say that. Hey, you, you can buy what? You can spend what? And you really didn't say that. You, you kind of get the drift. I can be sitting right next to her, and we can have miscommunique. Has that ever happened, sitting right next to your spouse? Perhaps they're watching the football game or the baseball game, and, or perhaps she was uh, shopping at home, and you guys were talking, and, and you're communicating, and, and then later on, what, you said that? Well, what about misunderstanding in a way that cost you? In 1977, there was a plane crash. Many of you might have remembered that. In 1977, two Boeing 747 airplanes crashed on the Los Rodeos Airport runway, which killed 583 people. Because the fog was so thick, neither plane could see each other. The tragedy was due to miscommunication between the captain of the KLM plane and the air traffic control tower. The pilot believed he had clearance for takeoff. He did not. What a tragic, tragic miscommunication. That's a live phone conversation, so to speak, over a CB or whatever is in the plane. That's a direct message that was misunderstood. And that's the kind of message that Israel has received. What about on the lighter side? Text messaging. Oh, I hate text messaging. It is so misunderstood. Maybe someone wrote the song from that. I'm so misunderstood when I text message, and so are you. Uh, Two lighthearted messages that were text and misunderstood The caption says, I got a new phone and asked my mom to go get pancakes today. At least she is loyal. That's the caption. Now, here's the text. Girl. We should go to IHOP today. It's free pancake day. Reply. Who's this? Besides, I'm happily married with five kids, and I don't think my husband would like it if I went out to eat with you. Besides that, I wouldn't waste my time with you since you want to take me out only because it's free. Girl, mom, it's Gracie. How about one more? Dad, mom's back in the hospital. LOL. Me. What? Why is that funny? Dad, it's not funny me. Then why did you laugh out loud? Dad, laugh out loud? I thought it meant lots of love. (laughs) Miscommunication. 50% of emails and texts are misunderstood. And so was the message that Paul was communicating to people all over the world. Even today, the message is not understood it is not by works it is not by the law it's not by being perfect we can start a song with that and start beating it's not it's not it's not by any of those things remind me we'll write a new song next week Jacob about and everyone misunderstood you see righteousness that we have to have in order to get to heaven is to be found not at Mount Sinai, where Moses came off the mountain with the laws, the Ten Commandments, but at Calvary. It lies not in the acceptance of the precept, but of a person. It's not in servitude to commandments, but in submission to Christ. To submit to God's righteousness means to lay aside one's own righteousness, I would call it concocted righteousness, and acknowledge complete failure. That was easy for me to do. It may not be easy for you to do, but it was very easy for me to do. This is something the Jew and all religious persons generally refuse to do. And not only, not only are they lost... But an excusably lost since Christ has been revealed as the Savior. You know, in wrestling, we used to wrestle. It used to be, and in, in, in when I was a kid in the school, the 60s, we, we wrestled. We climbed ropes. We did man things. Now it's, well, let me color something here. And, and let me make a little bit of an animal out of some Twixie sticks and back then we did man things. And by the way, if you'd like to do man things, join the band the brothers, right? Brothers Band the Brothers, okay? We're going on a retreat very soon here. But in wrestling, if you're if they've got you down and they got you in a chokehold, as you know, they they can kill you. In fact, when you're in that chokehold and you don't submit, you could die. Right? You could literally die. So you have to Tap out. I lost. I submit. And that's what God is asking us to do. We were all failures. And God's just asking us to tap out. Hey, I submit. I understand it. I get it. But the Jewish people would not have it. And so many Gentiles also. So let's look at, first of all, as we go to verse 8, we skip those next few verses, and we pick up. A little bit where Jacob began to expound on. In verse 8, I want you to see, first of all, that the the message of faith. Remember, the title of this morning's message is the message. But the message of faith, faith in verse 8. Notice, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. Another text misunderstood, and and you're getting a reply. (laughs) The message of faith. You see, it is faith that opens the door, not your religiousness, your religiosity, your righteousness that opens the door to God, to be a child of God, citizenship in heaven, Jesus as your Savior, Getting forgiveness of our sins. It is the door of faith that gives you access to God, to Jesus, to all these benefits in Christ Jesus. You see, people try to reason, intellectualize, con their way, buy their way, earn their way into an acceptable relationship with God. You know, it's all around you to the people that are your friends, your co workers. They're all trying to rationalize their way into heaven. Jesus said he's the way. You see, what about miracles? We talked about miracles today. But Jesus said something to you and me. He said, blessed are those who have not seen but yet believe. Jesus doesn't want you to believe in him because of the miracles. In fact, he reminds us of that in Matthew chapter 12. Okay? So, yes, we know God has done miracles, done things that man cannot do. But he really does not want you, church, hear this right. He does not want you to seek after signs and wonders in order to believe in him. It is true. That's scriptural. I'll prove it to you in just a second. Remember King Herod said, bring Jesus over to me so he can do some tricks and maybe some signs and wonders. And and other people have said that and perhaps I might believe. Come down off that cross, the religious people said. Those churchgoers said, if you're God, come off the cross and prove that you're God. See, man wants God to do something that will tickle their fancy. But Matthew 12 reminds us to this expecting crowd, these people that want miracles all the time, in order to believe in him, he said, hear this now, guys, verse 12, only an evil, adulterous Generation would demand a miraculous sign. Now, I'm not countering what we sang about. As I like what Jacob said, he doesn't always answer our prayers, but he did answer many prayers. He doesn't always raise the dead, but he has raised the dead. So we don't stop praying. We're not saying that. In order to believe in God, many people have to have signs and wonders. But he said, only an evil generation. Demands miraculous signs. He said, here's the only sign I'm going to give you. You want a sign that I'm God, that I'm Jesus, and that I'm the Messiah? Here it is. The only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. it's in the book of Jonah, in case you don't remember the story in the Old Testament. The people of Nineveh were very evil and wicked. He said the people of Nineveh, they did repent. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation... The generation that Jesus was living in, where they saw signs and wonders, where all the prophecies about the Messiah were fulfilled right before their very eyes. He said, Nineveh, that didn't have any of that. They repented of their sins. You've seen so much more. Whoa. To them that have been given much. What does the Bible tell us? Much more is required. Be careful what you ask God to do, because... If he does do, now you have much more than anybody else. Nineveh repented, but this generation didn't. He said, now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. What's it going to take for us to repent of our sin? What's it going to take before we finally say or submit and tap out and say, God, I'm I'm guilty. I I need peace between you and me, especially in this generation, especially what's happening all around us. Many of us think Jesus is ready to come back very soon. I would get right before it's too late. You have been given much, you have been given radio stations, television stations, churches galore all over the nation, Bible studies. Seminaries, colleges, Christian high schools, Christian schools. Has God not given America much? Much more is required of us. He even said the queen of Sheba will stand up against this generation on the day of judgment and condemn it. That's the generation Jesus was living in. You had so much, and yet you didn't repent. For she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now... Someone greater than Solomon's is here, but you refuse to listen. So, in order to have access to these benefits, in order to have access to salvation, in order to have access to forgiveness, in order for Christ to become your savior, the door is a message of faith. Faith opens the door to receiving Christ. I know Reuben and I had the privilege of literally explaining it to one of his colleagues. We went out to eat. And, and, and the person, we had to help that person understand how they could receive salvation, that he had to walk through the door of faith and trust Christ by faith alone, not a miracle. And the person did, and he received Christ as a Savior just about a month ago. Faith opens the door. And Paul's communicating that to those in Rome The second thing I want you to see this morning, the message of salvation is revealed to the Romans and and thus to the Gentiles. Notice in verse 9, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One of the great mysteries of the church is salvation of the Gentiles. The, The Jewish people didn't think They were going to get saved. So, Paul delivers a message that unravels one of the greatest mysteries the mystery, of course, of the church, and then the mystery that the Gentiles will also be included in this great blessing. So, in this verse, the message of salvation is declared. Notice in verse 9, it is openly declared believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and that ends in salvation. Now, here's what can happen. I remember in Texas in the 70s knocking on doors, and people started sharing Jesus with me. You have probably shared Jesus with many people. And and it's like there's nothing up there. So I remember people telling me all this, and I remember going into a home. I remember it like it was yesterday, and they were in the kitchen eating. The man left, entered the door. We sat on the couch. Make a long story short, I literally prayed The prayer of salvation with him. I remember going through the motions. I remember hearing it, okay, believe in your heart, and then openly declare it that Jesus was raised from the dead. I walked out, no difference. I had prayed the prayer, but nothing happened. So faith opens the door to the message. The message reveals with some clarity what the message is about. This message is about what? Salvation. But the third thing in this passage that I see, the message of salvation's details are explained. Notice in verse 10. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith, That you are saved. Ah, someone has said there's 18 inches between heaven and hell, between the heart and between the head. When I prayed that prayer, I had the head knowledge of what to do. I I knew on paper what it was all about. Many people have gone to church for years and they've heard the gospel, or perhaps they were raised where they heard the gospel. But all it is is words and knowledge. That's all it is. So there's 18 inches between heaven and hell, between the heart and between the head knowledge. You must believe in your heart. And when I went behind that gas station a few weeks later and fell on my knees and cried out to God to forgive me of my lifestyle of sin, I got up from that place and I was radically changed because of what verse 10 teaches. So you and me need to explain. And Paul's explaining to those Jewish people and those in Rome you must not just have the head knowledge, you have it, but you must believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead. And here's what naturally follows you openly confess Jesus. Are you openly confessing your knowledge? And your relationship with Jesus, with your family, when you get together for the holidays, when you go on summer vacation. How about your coworkers? Do they even know that you're a believer in Jesus Christ? How about your neighbors? Do you openly confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? One of the first things you should do when you get saved is declare to someone, I tell, go tell someone. That's a true test. Are you willing to go tell someone, I, I'm born again. I just received Christ in the church. Now go back to your wicked, evil friends and family and, and neighbors and tell them, I am born again. <laughs> Can you take it? Can you take it? Are you going to cower? Listen, it isn't the courage you have. It's the courage that God is working through you, producing through you. I remember I thought Christianity and religion was for sissies. Not men. And the first thing that happened when I got saved, someone walked by me. It was like a wave, a tsunami. What are you doing? I just got off my knees and and I was praying. Hail Mary Father Grace, Holder, our Father, That's all I knew how to pray. I said, I'm praying. He looked at me. Now you gotta understand. It's just like I graduated from first grade and, I mean, went from first grade through high school. I would never tell anybody I was praying out loud in public. Macho guys don't do that. That was the first test. I acknowledged it out loud. And, man, I haven't shut my mouth about Jesus since. (laughs) Hallelujah. Okay, so let someone know. Tell someone. And then the next thing. I don't want to pick on anybody, but get baptized. You come out of the closet and you come publicly and say, I'm born again. I don't care who knows. I'm going to get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why people balk at that, I don't know. Now, now listen. There are, there I don't want to pick on people. I, I understand some people aren't like me, and, and, and they're, they're quieter, like my wife, and, and, and they struggle with it. I, okay, that's a difference. There, if someone's struggling with it, it's different, it's different okay? But I remember standing me in the congregation, and the pastor had me the first week. I got saved, and, and he said, I had long hair. Oh, I thought I was being like Jesus, but I... I, I you, you can't have long hair, they said, and be a Christian. Boy, if I could just get a hold of that pastor today, I'd give him a right uppercut. You can, it doesn't matter whether your hair is long or short like Andy, or it's long like, uh, uh, let's see, like, uh, well, I won't pick, oh, like, or n- no hair at all. There you go, Reuben. Thank you. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But you know what I said? It, 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 you kind of, when you're a, a, a child in Christ, you say a lot of stupid things, right? I said, I don't care what I have to do to get out of hell. How's that for an answer? I remember saying that so clearly. I was so glad to escape hell. Are you? Then go tell someone else they need to escape that awful, dreadful, ugly, everlasting place of torment. It bothers me, all the people around me that don't know Christ. It bothered Paul. I hope it bothers you, not out of guilt, but because you've been saved. You see, a baby first rolls over, then they crawl, then they walk. You believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth. You tell someone, and then you're baptized. It isn't just saying a prayer. I no longer really like to really, I'm careful about this, lead someone in a prayer. Just say what you want. I didn't, by the way, I didn't say the right things when I got saved. How many did not say the right things when you got saved? Okay, and then the devil tried to bother me about that. For two weeks, I was in agony on my couch of the family that took me in their home, and I, I didn't say it right. Did I say the right thing? Oh, no, I was, I was miserable. Almost more miserable than before I got saved. <laughs> Till I finally had to trust what the scripture taught. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you are saved. Quit worrying about it nip it in the bud move about the planet freely enjoy Matthew 10:32 reminds us of this public confession everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth will also acknowledge I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven But everyone who denies me on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. We got a lot of closet Christians in our country and in our churches. Sometimes I go, you're a Christian? I didn't know that. (laughs) You ever done that? You you finally found out after five years living, ten years living next to your neighbor. You're a Christian? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. We had one move away. Actually, I witnessed to her husband out in the streets and he never talked to me again. We invited him over for supper after about a year and his wife wrote us and said, please, please don't let your husband scare my don't let your husband scare my husband to death. He, he's so afraid to come over. Why? Because I'm gonna give him Jesus. Amen. <laughs> I'm inviting him over not for steak. I invited him over to talk about Jesus. We found out after she left, she knew Jesus all the time. The Bible says publicly. Everywhere you go, acknowledge you know him. It's because God lives in you. And by the way, this good news is for the male and the female. He spells it out in verse 11 and 12. It's not just for one gender. This is a good place you can talk about gender in the right way. As the scripture tells us in verse 11, anyone who trusts in him, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord. Who gives generously to all who call on him. So we know that it's for the male and the female, the bond or free, the Jew or the Greek. This good message, this message of salvation is for everyone, not just for the religious elite, not just for a certain ethnic group like the Jewish people, not just for the male, but for the female. This gospel is for not the righteous, but for the sinner. For the sinner steeped deep in sin. This message is for you. The message of salvation. The gospel means good news. Notice in verse 13, I like this. Everyone... You see, I think this nips us in the bud, this big debate between Calvinism and Arminianism, I'm sure both of them bat, go to bat like this, like two opposing magnets. And we know there's some fundamental truths about each one of these. But if I'm going to let the hammer down any place, I'm going to do it in verse 13. Everyone. Oh, no, no. Some people. No, everyone. I mean, no, just some people that were elected way back before the earth was ever born. Everyone. No, no just good people. Everyone who calls on the Lord shall be saved. Jesus, save me. Whoever, whoever calls on the Lord. So some, I like what someone said. I don't know if it was Piper or someone. I, or to John MacArthur. Hey, you know, I, I don't know if I'm one of the elect. He said, I'll tell you what. I can, I can, I can prove to you if you're one of the elect. You can't Call on the Lord, He saves you, and then you're one of the elect. How do you like that argument solved? (laughs) Then you'll know you're saved, and then you'll know you're one of the elect. Call on the Lord and be saved. You see, the Jews were familiar with this because remember, in the wilderness, after He came off the mountain, Israel rebelled so many times, and then one time a snake came and it bit many of the Jewish people, and they were dying. And so, you know, Moses was told to put a pole up with a serpent on it. It's the emblem that the medical arena uses still to this day. And tell everyone if they look at the serpent on the pole, they will be healed. I don't know about you, even if I didn't quite believe in everything, I'd make a beeline over to the pole to get healed. It just takes childlike faith to look at the cross and say, Jesus, I I believe I believe, and he will save you. So we've talked about the message of faith that opens the door to God, the message of salvation, the good news that explains so clearly to the Jewish people that they can't get it wrong. It's not by the law or by your good works. And then the message of the salvation's details is unraveled when he says, believe in your heart. This is how it's done, not just head knowledge. Believe in your heart. Call on him. Confess him publicly. These are kind of the details about salvation that he explains to them so clearly because, remember, the Jewish people were, if you, if you acknowledge you, you're, you know Jesus in school, you may lose some friends. How many people know that? Listen, I got a surprise for you. You acknowledge you really know Jesus, you might not be friends with some people in the church. That's the truth. That's been my journey. Starting back in 1976 when I got saved, people in the church don't want to hang out with you. You're too religious. You smell too religious. You look too religious. I'm just a normal guy that loves Jesus and makes a lot of mistakes. And I just go back to daddy and father and say, God, and I I don't condone my unrighteousness or my sin. I'm sorry. Here I am again. Yes, Ron. Oh, you know me by name. (laughs) I'm sorry. But here's a key point I want to just hunker down for a minute in verse 14 and 15. It's called the message carriers. Now, all this is good stuff. But who's going to deliver this message? Verse 14 and 15. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of messengers! who bring good news. I I, I promise you that last verse I won't comment on because if I take my shoes off and all the kicking the balls I did and all the tennis playing and quick stops and all the pickleball stops, guess what's happened to my big toenails? (laughs) Well, I I don't want to go any further than that. So I don't, my feet aren't beautiful. (laughs) But we understand what God is saying to everyone. So verse 14, ask questions about how does the message now get out? If it's all bottled up and corked up, how does the genie get out of the bottle unless you uncork it? I want to tell you, though, first of all, it's not going to happen without prayer, without the work of the Holy Spirit, and without the church. The communicators of the message are are the church, or is the church, small groups, we ambassadors, and then full-time ministers and part-time ministers. Let's look quickly at the church. The church has been given the privilege and responsibility to be heralders, communicators of the great messengers of the message of salvation at home, nationally, and internationally. We have the privilege and responsibility to be the torchbearers of the gospel. Let me give you an example that may help you, may help communicate what God is saying to you and me. We're responsible as a church the church may need to take a few notes from FedEx. Every day, FedEx sends out 4 million packages to valued customers. FedEx delivery routes cover every U.S. street and services more than 220 countries. In order to send well, FedEx has over 170,000 employees, 675 aircrafts, 50,000 ground transportation vehicles, and 1,800 offices or office locations. But it is a bit mysterious. Somehow FedEx has figured out a way for customers to ship packages within one day turn around. If FedEx knows anything, they know how to send well. The church may not be in the package delivery business but she is in the people delivery business. At least that's what Jesus wanted the church to be about, not just a holy huddle. However, sending people is not always the top priority in churches. And if we're being honest, sometimes the church hasn't done a good job of sending out labors for the Lord's harvest. Continuing the FedEx, FedEx has a unique way of looking at the world. FedEx operates with a deep conviction that everyone in the world should have the ability to send and receive packages. God may not be all too concerned about the packages being delivered on time, but the scripture makes it clear that God desires all people to receive the message of salvation and come to the knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. God operates with a deep conviction that everyone should have the ability to send and receive eternal hope. What is God's distribution plan? Simply put, it's God's people, the church. That means everyone here, all believers. You don't believe that? You just believe pastors are supposed to do that? Can I? I mean, listen. If you love God, this isn't this is not offensive. But it, it does kind of like a football team. The coach has to kind of get the, get the team, you know, out of the huddle and out into the playing field. It, just look at it that way. Listen, I, I want my neighbors to be saved. I'm ready for an opportunity. I've been praying for an opportunity this week for my neighbors that have been living around for about uh, since 2012. And I've seen very few salvations. I've been sharing I'm I'm looking for those opportunities. I'm praying that God will blanket our community with the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. I want to see people saved. They may not even come to this church. I just want to see the kingdom of heaven come down to earth. That's the greatest miracle I like to see: is repentance and transformation. That is the glory and the power of God. Oh, I know He can raise the dead, forgive of sins. I know all the things I've read about, and I'm impressed with his glory, what he's created. But when I see vile, wicked, lying, conniving, adulterous, murderous human beings fall on their knees, drug-infested, alcoholic-infested, perverted, cry out to God, save me, and then watch them the next week the next month, the next year, giving glory to God, singing in the churches, departing from their old friends. Wow, that's a miracle I'd love to see over and over and over and over again. Wouldn't you? Oh, I didn't hear too many amens on that one. Would you really like to see that church? All believers, can I, can I quote the scripture? Hey, guess what? You're included. You're, you're just getting your pay a little bit different than mine, Okay. Think of it that way. You're getting your pay a little different than mine, but you're all called to be pastors, technically. Ready? 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Okay, you gave your life to Christ. You called on him. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Now all this is a gift from God. Who brought us back to himself through Christ. We're alienated from God. Jesus brought us back to him. Now we have peace with God. That's what all men need to do. Have, make their peace with God. And then God has given us this task. What's the task? Reconciling. In other translations, restoring the relationship with God. He's given us the task. The church the task. How are we doing? Of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. Hallelujah. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. and God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the sin offering or the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We also do that through small groups that you'll be hearing more about in the next few weeks. Listen, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to open up your home, someone that loves God. And perhaps we're going to build it on interest also. Perhaps you have, I've always wanted to start a pickleball small group. Okay? Okay. We, we, we got out there I told the guys one time we're out there and there was a guy over there I started talking to him and I said hey he, he didn't have a church he just moved into town he was a med student I said guys look at there he, some of these guys are here right here I said there is that's how that's how church is done invite him over come on invi- I'm 65 and I'm telling come on invite him over I'm playing with all these young whippersnappers and whooping them up still but anyway that was that was a prideful statement I'm sorry forgive me that that's how the church is done. It it, it was an interest that I have. Now bring them over, spell out a scripture, go out to eat, invite them back the next week, and then begin to point to Jesus. So it can be done through interest, or it can be intentionally done by opening up your home and saying, I'm going to invite people in my home. We're going to have a marriage uh, class here on the premises. I'm starting on Saturday mornings. I have a group of people that meet that will be, um, we call it, Operation Timothy that uh, Band of Brothers has been doing and many other Christian businessmen do. And I'm going to invite some of you to be a part of that on Saturday morning, early in the morning, 730 in the morning, where it's not taking up your wife's time or your children's time. And we're going to do operation. So discipleship is going to take place. This is how the message is done. We are message carriers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, there's full-time Staff members, will look at this passage right here. Notice in verse 15, it says, And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Let me tell you, I wanted to make my money a lot of different ways. I tried businesses. I tried acting, and television. I, wanted, I did not want my dime to be dependent on you guys. I wanted to make my own money that was pride because I saw what many churches did to pastors throughout the years but God said no I want you to give your undivided attention your whole life to the gospel we need to raise up ministers here that love Jesus Christ and he's calling you to give up your career he's calling you into the full-time ministry It could be all different kinds of ministry. I say we got Love Life represented here, we got Sheridan House representative here, we got Band of Brothers here, we got all kinds of ministries represented here. It's not just standing in the pulpit preaching, but it does include preaching. And so God called me away from being a truck driver at that time and called me into the ministry full-time. He's calling some of you full-time. That's how the message gets out. And then there's part-time. There's part-time. You know that 60 or 80% of our churches are run by bivocational pastors. I believe it's 60%. Bivocational pastors. They have a career, and they also have a a good group of people that they minister to over the years. Is God calling you to the ministry? That's how the message gets out. We're the message carriers. One last thing. I won't be long on it. The message recipients. We won't read it. It's spelled out in verse 16 through 21. Here's what you need to do, church. When you communicate the gospel, not everyone is going to say yes. So many people won't venture out there because they're afraid that someone may reject them. They may say no. Paul was preaching. Jesus preached. And they said no. And even the people that were following him when he really got down to the nuts and bolts of the gospel, you know, this church teaches the truth. When you begin teaching the truth, you'll even have more people that will leave. If you talk about judgment, you talk about hell, you talk about the issues of the day, a lot of people don't want to hear that. They want to come to church to feel good. I want you to feel good, too. When you praise God, there's a feeling involved. And many of you are encouraged. There's nothing wrong with that. You know what I'm talking about. If you come to church only to feel good, that's not what God is doing. He's chastising. He's correcting. He's instructing. He's disciplining. He's doing all kinds of things. He's encouraging. He's lifting you up. He's forgiving. He's doing all kinds of things I don't even know about. So don't worry about the message recipients. The message opens the door to faith. The message of salvation is what the message is about. The message details of salvation... Is clearly explained in Romans. It's called the Romans Road. And then, of course, the carriers, the message carriers carriers are you and me, the church, where they get out the gospel. And Jacob and I have some plans that we believe God's laying on our hearts. We're going to be unraveling in the next few months of how God's working in this church so that we can see souls saved. We want to be soul winners. And then again, just remember that some people are going to say no. In fact, the Bible says Broad is the path that leads to destruction, and narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. And what? There be what? Few, few that accept that. You have to put that in your noggin so you don't get discouraged. So, if you're here today, you're listening in online, this is a day you could accept Jesus by saying, Save me! Forgive me and save me. I'm putting my confidence in you. Perhaps you're here for the first time. Billy Graham said the greatest harvest field is in the church. In the church. Of all places, in the church. Today could be the day that you're going to publicly confess Christ as your Savior. You're going to come forward maybe after the service when the music's done so we don't put you on the spot right now. But one day you're going to be put on the spot. Remember what Jesus said? If you won't confess me before men, what did he say? I'll not confess you before my Father. Jesus, I knew you. You never said a cotton-picking word. You sat in the front row. I won't say the back row. I always pick on the back row. You sat in the front row, and you never said anything about me at work or in your neighborhood. You never confessed me publicly, or you've never been baptized. Please, we'll be standing up front after the service to receive, to pray with you, to receive your request. Jacob will be standing up here. We'll, We'll kind of swap out. I'll be in the back to greet some of you, but he'll be up here to pray with you, one of the ladies will be up here to pray with you. Or if you're online, please go to the comment section and say, I've given my life to Jesus today. And we'll get some material in your hands and we'll get in touch with you if that's the decision you made.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe, living God's way, everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.